That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, hi, everyone. Let me pray briefly and then we'll get into this passage. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with faith, with a fresh vision of who Jesus is, who he was that night in the boat with, with those first disciples, who he is now with us here today, where we are, where we may be tempted to fear. Would you be glorified as we give ourselves, as we bow our hearts to your word? Amen. Quote from uh, page 10 of the Illinois Daily, Friday, the 5th of May, 1961. It's the first time I ever saw a squall. I never want to see one again. Charles Saylor, 18 years old of New York. It was misting slightly. I was at the main sheet, ready to let it out. But it hit with such force, nothing could be done. It was as if a giant hand took hold of us. Captain Christopher Sheldon, 34, of Connecticut. We thought she would right herself. We thought she would come back over, but she didn't. David Johnston, 17, Connecticut. John was on deck trying to free a lifeboat, but the sail took him down. He was the best swimmer of us all. Philip Le Boutelier, 17, Ohio. Eighteen souls had set out on the 117-foot brigantine Albatross for an eight-month educational voyage. But nearing the end of their journey, at about 8.30 in the morning, six of them went to their graves in the Gulf of Mexico. The 12 survivors of the squall spent two days at sea in lifeboats waiting for rescue. A year later, crew member Chuck Geeg, then 18 years old, wrote a book about it, the last voyage of the albatross. Some of you may remember it as the 1996 film, White Squall, with Jeff Bridges in the lead role. The disciples on that boat that night with Jesus were right to fear. You see, the Sea of Galilee lies nearly 700 feet below sea level, and only 30 miles away to the northeast, Mount Hermon rises to 9,200 feet above sea level. And the differential between the cold upper air from Mount Hermon and the warm air rising from the Sea of Galilee results in a pressure imbalance that produces short blasts of hurricane force wind. Now, Mount Arbella and other sheer cliffs on the western shore funnel these winds across the lake. And then as they hit the Golan Heights on the eastern side, they ricochet back across the lake, causing furious storms and massive waves. 
they were right to fear. The storms of the Sea of Galilee were no joke, and some of the disciples were experienced fishermen, lifetime fishermen, in fact, the sons of sons of sons of fishermen. And this sea was in their blood. So when the furious squall that Mark describes in verse 37 hit, suddenly and without warning, they were right to fear. Theirs was not the fear of ignorant panic. Theirs was the 100% rational fear of those who know, of those who had lost, perhaps, brothers, grandfathers, uncles, friends, to similar storms. Ridley Scott, who directed the movie White Squall, took some liberties. His version of the storm scene lasts 16 minutes. But Captain Sheldon and the boys who survived said it took 15 seconds from the moment the wind first hit until the albatross was lying on its side in the water. Another 60 seconds for it to fill completely, even though only one hatch was open. And in less than 90 seconds, the ship had disappeared beneath the waves. Less than 90 seconds from a calm morning at sea to six souls lost to the storm. The disciples were fighting for their lives, trying to bail water out as the waves kept breaking over the side. And the boat, Mark tells us in verse 37, was nearly swamped. If the boat went under, there was no swimming to shore, not in that storm. If the boat went under, and it was about to, they were dead and they knew it. And yet, even in that storm, Jesus had one simple message to them. Take courage. I am with you. What have you to fear? And the Lord Jesus says to you, to us right now, take courage. I am with you. What have you to fear? You will have noticed that Mark structures this account around three questions. The disciples ask two and Jesus asks one. So we're going to ask those questions and see how Mark answers them. We'll take the disciples' questions first and then come to Jesus' question in a short while. Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? They ask in verse 38. And in verse 41, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, let's start there and see how Mark answers that question. First, Jesus commands the wind and the sea, and they obey. He rebukes the storm. Peace, be still. And instantly the sea and the sky obey the word of their master, their creator. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. The storm knows the voice of its master, and at his word it kneels in quiet submission. The sea and the sky knew who Jesus was, but the disciples didn't yet. And Mark tells us they were filled with fear terrified in fact you see the storm was at least a danger they understood they at least knew what it was but a man who commands the wind who is this man you see these disciples were all jews and they knew the old testament 
they knew, for example, Psalm 65, which says, You, God, our Savior, still the roaring seas. They knew Psalm 104, which says, At your rebuke, Yahweh my God, at your rebuke, the waters fled. They knew Psalm 107, which says, The Lord, Yahweh, stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. The Lord, Yahweh, rules the seas and the storm. So who is this man? And even if you think I'm overestimating their Old Testament knowledge and memory of the Psalms, which I don't think I am, but even if I was, their minds would have gone straight to the Exodus where God parted the Red Sea. You see, in Jewish minds, power over the sea belonged to God alone. So who is this in their boat? Who is this in whom the power of God dwells? who comes into the world of chaos and storms and rescues people from death. Who is this man? Well, they're asking the right question, but Jesus doesn't answer them, not directly at least, not yet. But sometime later, a similar day unfolded. Jesus had spent the day teaching the crowds. In fact, on this day, he'd multiplied fish and bread and fed thousands. Evening came, and he wanted to be alone to pray. So he sent the disciples to the boat and told them to cross the lake, and he would meet them the next day on the other side. Mark tells the story in chapter 6, and I'll pick it up from verse 45. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. And he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now put yourself in the boat with the disciples. Out on the Sea of, the, of Galilee, middle of the lake, at night, and the wind begins to rise, just as it did last time. A powerful wind again. We know that because they were blown so off course that they didn't end up going to where Jesus had told them to go. They disembarked at a different place. The waves swell and rise and they strain against the oars. But there's no Jesus in the boat this time. In fact, he leaves them to struggle all night. And now from verse 48. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out in fear. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. Who is he? They had asked that night when he stilled the storm. And now again this night, as they watched him walk on the waves, another scripture would have come to mind. He, God, alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Job 9 verse 8. Jesus walks where only God can walk. And then he says to them, take courage, it is I. Literally, take courage, I am. 
And there's no way any Jew would have missed that. The same words God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. Jesus takes for himself the very name of God. Fear not, I am. And Mark adds another detail in verse 48 of chapter 6. He tells us Jesus was about to pass them by. It seems very strange. Why would he do that? He's been watching them from a hillside all night, praying, no doubt, for them. As dawn approached, he walks out on the waves and just passes them by. Seems strange. But in fact, in this little detail, Jesus is doing something incredible. See, over a thousand years before this, Moses had pleaded with God to remain with his people as they journeyed through the wilderness to the promised land. God promised that he would, that his presence would go with his people, that he would not leave them. And then Moses, you remember, asked God in Exodus chapter 33, show me your glory. And God replied, there is a place where you shall stand in the cleft of the rock while my glory passes by. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord God passed by Moses in the cleft of the rock because no man may look on the face of the glory of God and live. Do you see what Jesus is doing? What he was revealing to the disciples as he walked out on the waves to them and was about to pass them by. You remember that scripture I quoted a moment ago from Job. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Well, no doubt that passage came to their minds as Jesus walked out to them, but it continues. Listen to this from Job chapter 9. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He who made the bear and Orion, the constellations of the sky, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes me by and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Moses longed to see God. Righteous Job longed to see God, but he passed them by. For the glory of the great God of heaven and earth may not be seen. And in passing them by, Jesus is again saying, I am he. I am he who passed by Moses in the cleft of the rock. I am he who passed by Job. I gave them both a, a glimpse of the back of my glory moving away from them so that they would not be destroyed, for I am a consuming fire. But now in Jesus, the glory of God was about to pass them by, but instead turns to face them, face to face, and speaks. Take courage, it is I. And he climbs into the boat with them. Who is this? The disciples asked that night, back in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus stilled the storm. He is, Mark tells us, the one who commands the wind and the sea. The one who treads upon the waves. 
the one who calls himself by the very name of God, I am. The one in whom the glory of God that no man may see and live now draws near to save his own. Who is this? The God of heaven and earth stood in that boat with his disciples that night. The disciples asked two questions that night. Who is this? And, teacher, don't you care we're about to die? And that question is at the center of all our fears, isn't it? Jesus, don't you care? Yes, Jesus cares. In coming to their rescue that night, Jesus not only saved them from drowning, he foreshadowed the great rescue. The great rescue by which he would ultimately save them and all his disciples from all the perils of this fallen world. From dangers, from disease, from demons, from death and from judgment. He foreshadowed the cross. Did you know this is the only place in the Bible, here in the boat in the storm, where we're told that Jesus slept? The disciples were frantic, but Jesus slept, knowing God was watching over, and they were perfectly safe in his sovereign care. Their perception of the danger was at opposite ends of the spectrum, frantic disciples on the one hand, and Jesus at rest, fast asleep in his father's care. And soon came another night when once again their perception of danger was at opposite ends of the spectrum. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as this time the disciples slept, even though Jesus asked them to pray with him. Jesus prayed alone through the night again for their salvation and yours and mine. Knowing that he was about to face alone the greatest, most terrifying storm beyond imagining, the wrath of God against sin. Teacher, don't you care we're about to die? If only they'd known that night in the storm just how much he did care, such words would never have passed their lips. Had they understood that night in the storm, the great rescue Jesus foreshadowed instilling the storm, they would never not for an instant, have questioned or doubted his care of them. But Jesus knew that they didn't yet understand. They didn't yet understand who he was. They didn't yet grasp his loving care for them. So he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? How patient is the Lord Jesus. How tenderly he draws them and us to faith. How he bears with our dull and unseeing hearts. It's common to hear preachers make this a rebuke, as if Jesus had said to them in an irritable and impatient way, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? But I just don't see it. Look carefully at the text. Verse 39, he rebuked the wind and the waves. Verse 40, he said to his disciples, he rebuked the storm, he said to his disciples, different words, 
If Mark wanted us to think that Jesus' question was a rebuke, then he would have just used that word. It's clear Mark knew the word for rebuke. And the accounts of the same incident in Matthew chapter 8 and in uh, Luke chapter 8 also use different words. Jesus rebuked the storm. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you afraid? I, God, I am. I am with you. I love you. I will never leave you. I will hold you fast. Through this storm and through every storm to come, I will hold you fast. It'll help us to remember who Mark is writing his gospel account for. Mark wrote for communities of early believers in the city of Rome facing intense persecution, execution, in fact, under Roman Emperor Nero. His intention was to lift their eyes from the surrounding chaos and to fix them instead on a vision of their savior, the king who rules over every storm. It's as if Mark, in the telling of his gospel, says, let all the demons of hell, let all the diseases of this broken world, let all the so-called powerful of this age do their worst against the chosen of the Lord. Jesus, the risen, death-conquering King. Jesus, the great I Am, is with you, his people. With him in the boat, what have you to fear? Now, there are no stormless seas and all sailors all disciples must learn to face the wind and the waves of life in this fallen world and being a follower of jesus does not mean you'll face fewer storms in fact the bible tells us that everyone who wants to live a godly life in christ jesus will will be persecuted jesus will not still every storm the point of this story is not that Jesus rescues his fearful disciples from every danger. The message is not that we should expect miracles to calm every storm we have in life. Many died under Nero's reign. Many. Many faithful Christian believers were executed under the reigns of numerous emper uh, emperors for centuries. Many faithful Christian believers are martyred for their witness to Christ today. According to the World Health Organization, as of last night, there were 575,444 confirmed cases of coronavirus infection worldwide, with 26,654 deaths. I expect if I check the updated numbers at six o'clock this evening, they will have risen significantly. Many will die. And some who die will be disciples of Jesus. I don't know what will happen to each one of you. I don't know what will happen to me before the storm stills. But this I do know. Jesus is able to rescue from every illness from every disease, from every demonic assault, from every storm of this life, if he chooses. Sometimes he will choose to do so, and sometimes he won't. When he does, 
he does so because he loves his own. And when he doesn't, he doesn't because he loves his own. He has already proved forever by his great rescue on the cross, his love for us, the storm that he faced alone, the storm that he gave his life to, the storm of God's holy justice that you and I will now not face, the storm that all who look to him with trust and faith and love will not face. But, dear friends, that only those who look to him in trust and love, faith will not face. For all who turn away from Jesus, the great storm is coming. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, he who stills the wind, he who commands the seas, he who strides upon the storms, he who came to our rescue on the cross, who suffered the great storm for our salvation, he holds us fast. He is the great I am. He is God. What have we to fear? Won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Now says the Lord, He who has in Christ made you his own, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The swelling waves shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. When you pass through the grave, it shall not hold you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Our gracious God and Father, turn our hearts evermore to Christ our Savior, Open our eyes every day in your precious word to see the greatness, the glory, the beauty of our Savior. Fill our hearts with the vision of your glory in Christ, our Savior, in whose hands we are forever safe. Amen.